Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Veneri. And I'm John Deck. And each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long loved movies. And this week. Shakes. Me too. Part of the business. I'm not in the business. I am the business. That's right. We're watching Blade Runner from the year 1982, the year I was born. Directed by Ridley Scott, and specifically, we're watching the final cut. Yes, the final cut, as I believe the actual official name is. There have been a lot of cuts, a lot of versions, and there might even be other ones. Dozen, dozen and a half (laughs) versions of this. There might even be another one that has the word final in it, but for the sake of argument, at the moment, the final cut is is showing on uh, HBO Max. Um, which is where we'll watch it. You can watch it wherever you want. But if you watch a version that's not the final cut, there might be one or two interesting changes. Indeed. Uh, That being said, I wouldn't really necessarily know what those are. My memory of this movie is not long. I don't have a ton to go off of from this. It's been... Maybe 25, 28 years since I've watched Blade Runner. Like, I haven't even watched 2049. Like, it's it's been a long-ass time since I've watched <laughs> Blade Runner. I'm lo- I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm looking at IMDb right now, and it's got, like, the title part of it and, like, the directors and writers and stars, and then underneath is videos and a clip of Blade Runner, but the, like, thumbnail of it, is Bob Hoskins in Super Mario Brothers. Which, oh, you didn't, in the final cut, they like Is it the Super it. Mario Brothers yeah, cut? Yeah. Is that what, what that's from? Luigi's a replicant. Goomba! <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, I've not seen it in a while. I really had well intentioned, uh, I, I planned on watching it and then watching 2049, and I, I just never put those together. Maybe I'll do it this time. Uh, just like how I watch Sherlock Holmes and then Enola Holmes right after. Not quite the same thing, but, you know, same concept. But, yeah, it, it's Did been... you end up watching Enola Holmes after I we did. watched it? I sure yeah, did. After I... watched it? Watched it. After we Sherlock watched Holmes. it, <laughs> I did. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fresh take that was fun. Um, and, yeah, I, I give it a thumbs up and a hearty recommendation. Go for it. Nice. I will have to uh, check that out. So, but at any rate, uh, Blade Runner, uh, Harrison Ford's in it. You probably didn't remember that. Um, he's that kid from uh, the the from a Star War, right? Is, I, he's one of them, I'm guessing. Oh no, Dune! I think he was in Dune. Was he in Dune? We'll have to look that up. Um, is it Dune or Dune? Is it oh, French? It's, it, no, it's it's pronounced Dune. I understand oh, okay. how you would misunderstand that because of uh, Gerard Depardieu is the director of Dune. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're off track like normal which hey if any of you <laughs> that, were on, really that's on brand for us if any of you were afraid that like maybe our our ramblings on the, the dark knight felt too cohesive and in one direction what we're throwing that in the garbage um so <laughs> we're gonna really talk uh, about things we don't know and that's blade runner because neither of us have seen it in a while i've probably seen it more recently than you but definitely not in the last uh 10 to 15 years 
So yeah, it's been a while and I've seen more than one version, but because of all the controversy among the real blade heads or, you know, whatever, like I know all I know is that there were a couple key things struck and added and moved around a little bit to make some big differences here and there. So I have a feeling when it's all said and done, I'll probably end up looking up what those key differences are just because like like when we watched Alien, another Ridley Scott movie, uh, it was just interesting to see the few things that were added in the director's cut, you know, which is wasn't even that con- controversial at the time. So that being said, my uh, opinions, my thoughts, my recollections on this are all pretty positive because um, one of my favorite subgenres of like anime are like sci-fi, cybernetic, philosophical animes. And you might think, is that a big subgenre? <laughs> and the answer is no. It's not. There's not a huge amount of it, but when it's there, uh, it's I really enjoy poignant. it. It's very poignant. So maybe uh, I'll bring up a few of those when we get into it and after we watch the movie. But yeah, I, I like this kind of like dystopian world and future and like trying to think about the nature of, of man and like trying to understand that merging of technology and humanity and what does that what does that all mean and and so I'm I'm glad that this is still kind of a little bit vague in my mind and I haven't seen it I've probably only seen it about three or four times ever so it's not one of these movies where I've seen it so much I know what's coming um, so it's it's going to be a pretty fresh take I think for us yeah I think so too and I'm I'm interested mostly because I I recently watched uh, the Expanse. I'm interested to see how it holds up in terms of like semi dystopia slash dystopia, like how the 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 political elements play out to it, and and how the technology holds up, and and because one thing from like Alien was that the, the the technological aspects were vague enough to where you could totally see it being you know a, a, a far-flung future if you if you really thought yeah. about it and so I'm it was curious if this kind of mirrors that in that regard because we're we're, we're going to be very up close and personal with a lot of this stuff yeah it was kind of stunning film. i think an alien how much of it felt like oh yeah the the tactile nature of the ships and the sci-fi elements all felt very real still not like dated and took us out of the moment and so here we have the same director you know a a different world by far of course but like i want to see how into it we get what our feelings on on it like i really i think this is going to be fun and 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 how many things emulate it like again going back now we're not going to spend the entire podcast going back to alien or maybe we will i don't know maybe we will but how many sort of films kind of emulated what happened in Alien from terms of set design and like how space travel was portrayed and things like that. I'm I'm curious if we're going to get the same sort of, if we're going to watch this and go, oh, well, this film or TV show also did that and did this and took elements from there. And I'm positive that we're going to find stuff like that, but... Yeah, and like how how much of it's going to actually hold up versus like the 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 stuff that we saw in Alien and 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 sort of what was taken from that like for Firefly and for Event Horizon and and shit like that. Yeah, like I I keep thinking about 
the the best Star Trek movie, which is uh, Star Trek Three: A Voyage Home, uh, with I think his name is Leo uh, Nim Nim something. Uh, but like, <laughs> it, it's it's all vague. Like all the movies are interchangeable because they um, purposely made sure that none of them had individual plots or characters or elements that you could pick one out, plug in the next. And it was all a statement about, you know, man's connection to technology. And, and we'll see, you know, Blade Runner came out, you know, after Star Trek. So does that mean all of, all of its ideas come from Data, who was in the original Star Trek? We'll see. Was he in the original? I thought he was in the next generation. Anyway. Uh, no, no. You obviously not seen Dune before. Obviously. Which is, uh, which is definitely a Star Trek movie. Anyway, we're going to go and watch this. Uh, we're, specifically, we're going to watch, uh, I said this before, we're going to watch Blade Runner, the final cut. It's on HBO now. Max. HBO Max. Fuck. I <laughs> fucked that up last, <laughs> last episode, too. It's on HBO Max, so go and catch it there. Otherwise, you can get it from your personal streaming library if you have that. Or you know where to get movies. You don't need me to tell you. And when we come back, we are talking about Blade Runner. John, are you ready? Of course I am. Oh, shit. This Let's movie has Sean Connery in it as Harrison Ford's dad. Did you not know oh, that? I didn't know that. Oh, That's my the, God. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. That's the big change in the final cut. Anyway, I'm so excited now. I Let's am ready. Do- Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, replicants. Uh, John, mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, because I'm watching this movie last night, and I'm going, man, I like this, and I like that, and John's going to have some shit to say, and I don't know that he's going to like it. Mm-hmm. And I, So I had it in my head that we're going to show up here today, and you're going to go, no, this movie's a pile of shit. Well, before I get into that i i did because uh, i wanted to ask you a question or two real quick um sure now someone gives you a calfskin wallet for your birthday how do you react call the police interesting uh, uh another just random question your little boy shows you his butterfly collection plus the killing jar what do you say uh i would talk to a doctor Hmm. One more question. You're watching television. Suddenly, you spot a wasp crawling on your arm. How do you react? I'd kill it. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. I, I said one question, but that was very compelling. I, I just had to. Well, one, one more off the top of my head. Um, you're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page nude photo of a girl you like you show it to your wife who likes it so much she hangs it on your bedroom wall that girl is lying on a bearskin rug we would have a discussion because am i not enough for her or Mm -hmm. okay uh you can just forget that i asked those questions uh what what questions exactly um so there was this movie we watched called Blade Runner. And if you were to... Oh, with Wesley Snipes. Yes. Uh, and Sylvester Stallone. Uh-huh. 
and you don't know about the three shells? Come on. <laughs> no. Um, if you just, it's like, I'm, I'm not, not even trying to give a specific example, but in general, across the world of people who enjoy sci-fi movies, I'd say quite often Blade Runner is almost given this, like, you know, like James Brown being the godfather of soul. This is like the godfather of sci-fi movies. Would you would you say it's fair that people kind of characterize it in that way? I, I, I don't know that I would quite completely agree with that, but it's definitely held on a, a very high pedestal. Like, we watched 2001, and that is this iconic sci-fi movie that holds a certain place in, in people's minds and hearts. And then... Blade Runner's different. Um, it's more of the uh, advent of cyberpunk introduction into mainstream. It's like this, what do we do with noir if we're going to put it in the future? And but the bottom line is that you and I both went into this with this vague, like, I barely can quite recall, like, the movie itself, like, what's happening in it. And, and after watching it and, you know, 24 hours have gone by, I still kind of have that feeling. Um, like, there are definitely things I enjoyed about this movie, absolutely. It's definitely not a bad movie, but it does make me wonder a little bit about what kind of a bar movies, or science fiction movies in particular, had to reach to be considered one of the best things ever made. Because I don't know if it's really a, a great movie. Um, so yeah, so to to jump to jump right in as you were saying, your instincts were probably right on in the fact that um, I, I might have a few things to say, but I do believe that this will be an interesting podcast because I think it brings up some really kind of fun talking points and, and things to contemplate from a philosophical angle. But just as far as its root gut check, is this just a a great movie? One of the top five or ten sci-fi movies of all time like ah <laughs> yeah see i don't know i can i don't know that i can characterize it that way either i i i see i see why people like it as much as they do i see why people hold on the pedestal that they do but you're right like there's a lot to this movie that doesn't lend to the uh, i'm trying to think of the word well, anyway, it, there, there's there's plenty to enjoy, which I think I want to get to first, and then we can sort of get into the more philosophical stuff that you were talking about, and, and yeah. maybe some of the things that that didn't quite hold up, or that that maybe we didn't necessarily feel was appropriate to the film. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, because we always forget about it until the very end when we're talking about Semaphore, is the score. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the score movie to with this Robert movie. De Niro. Yes, exactly. And uh, who's the other one in that? Doesn't uh, matter. Edward Norton. Uh, Ed Norton. That's right. No, I'm talking about the the actual uh, musical score to this film. My dad was actually a big fan of Vangelis, who composed the score of this movie, and it like it brought a bunch of memories of my dad actually flooding back. <laughs> uh, but also just like I, I got a real nice feeling listening yeah. to the score and just like as we're watching the cityscape go by or we're like traveling you know from one place to another and you have this like synth slash <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 a really cool score uh i i loved that i thought it was a great 
uh, musical accompaniment for this movie. I yeah, I completely agree. I think it it fit the mood. Like this movie is all about mood. If nothing else, it has it sets a mood, and whether that's through the the visual construction of, of the sets and the elements, or, or the audio and the score, or or just the tactile feeling of light and shadow and water and rain and all that but like just specifically in terms of music it really on the one hand it absolutely sounds like a soundtrack from the 80s about the future yes (laughs) but that's not a bad thing and so like I I think that there are definitely like there are a lot of things I saw and heard in this movie that other TV shows and movies and things have borrowed or stole or been inspired by both good and bad. And the fact that the soundtrack and the way it was used is something that's been, you know, maybe nicked or leaned upon a bit by several different places is not a bad thing. Even most modernly, uh, most modernly, I don't know if that's the right phrase. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But most recently, that's it. Uh, It reminded me a bit of Stranger Things. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I would go with that. And 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 I love how they use the the music for Stranger Things as well. And I, I don't think the two are like are directly related, but it's just that it's that synth, like you were saying, that that kind of moody synth with an edge to it. That's very atmospheric and just makes you kind of take in everything else. It's like a perfect complement. It's like ketchup for French fries. Yeah, there you go. I like that that comparison quite a bit. Uh, visually, too, this was very, very stunning, very gripping. Like, yeah. and and you can tell what sort of came out of 1982 when this was filmed and released, and what was added later when they did uh, the the director's cuts and things like that, and they sort of remastered things. But the the grittiness. And the like the, the constant pouring of rain when you're in the sort of lower districts and the uh the, the neon everything I thought was a very cool element. Uh and e- even down to like the costuming I thought was was really cool. Uh, uh Harrison Ford's costume in particular. I loved I love the duster he's wearing and things like that. Like the the visuals that, that you have here invoke a lot of of that not quite steampunk sort of cyberpunk uh that that you talked earlier about that sort of noir element to it yeah uh it it, it all lent to that and I, I really enjoyed that a lot yeah it's like a movie that was made in the late 70s to early 80s that is about 2019 that evokes imagery and clothing and choices made through a lot of things from the you know 40s through 50s and you know so it's like jumping around to piece things together in order to create like an interesting fresh take on uh, a certain kind of future and one thing i gotta say whether it's back to the future or it's blade runner or it's pretty much anything else made from like 1979 to like 1990 is that there's just gotta be a lot of people who are really upset that we're not having our own flying cars by now uh, because that's like the vision of the generic vision of the future everyone's ever had is there's just a whole bunch of like personal floating, you know, flying hover car situations. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and like that permeated throughout 
the the eighties and nineties. Like if you have you ever uh, it, we, we've had Kevin Smith movies uh, or a Kevin Smith movie on this podcast before. Uh, so you know you've seen Clerks, right? And you've got Dante and Randall. Uh, there's a like ten minute short of the two of them. They're in Dante's car. They're stuck in traffic, and they're talking about the flying car. And why don't we have the flying car yet? Sci-fi has promised us a flying car by now. What would you give for a flying car? I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it, it's 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 a very funny skit, like a, a very very funny short uh, that you should totally go and watch. But you're right. Like there was this expectation in the 70s and 80s and 90s in sci-fi that, oh, by the time we get into the, you know, early to mid-2000s, everybody's going to be driving one of these babies. Everybody's going to have a flying car. I got a spoiler for you, though. Hmm. Flying cars are a fucking terrible idea. They're such a bad idea. We have a hard enough time with just actual roads with only a a couple of dimensions where... <laughs> two. Big. There's two that you drive in left and right and, and and forward and backwards. You just said two, and then you listed four things. Right, but uh, I'm saying uh, two <laughs> horizontal and ver- uh, well, <laughs> it's not really vertical. Is horizontal it? and one of those other horizontals. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> the point is <laughs> the chaos that would ensue with millions of people flying without having particular roads and barriers to block. The human them. race would die the fuck out. Yeah. But then again, that's kind of, oh, I get it. I get it. That's that's our Blade Runner sequel right there. It's it's actually, it shouldn't be a sequel. It should be a reboot. And the reason we're in this dystopian future is all the people are dying off because they invented the flying car. And then, Oh, so Deckard has to put a stop to the flying car. He has to put a stop to the flying car. And, and it all, it turns out that that, that's what happened with artificial intelligence is they were like, what? We're only going to live four years. Well, what if we invent a flying car and all the humans die off? Then we can do better. I don't know where this is going, but yeah, I think we should definitely <laughs> spend a lot more time on it uh, and come back later. Maybe next week we'll unveil our findings. Oh, so, there we go. Moving on. <clears throat> moving Some- on. Something else that we enjoy that we like about the movie. We, you, when you brought up the music, I felt it kind of went hand in hand, like we were talking about the art direction and the scenery and the just everything visually going on this, whether it's the costuming or the the matte paintings or the elements of neon and things built into the cityscapes and all that. I, I absolutely loved it. I think it's it's a visual aesthetic that's been, you know, was described throughout older science fiction science fiction books and i don't know if i can think of an example from earlier movies that nails this uh in this way um so again it's another one of those iconic reasons why this movie stands out but it really has that you know for a this movie's pretty dark you know it's very drab absolutely it's it's that there's not a lot of joy and hope in the movie and you know that that type of dystopian future uh where you know there's been just pollution and there's been slavery and there's been all these things that you know we've never experienced before oh wait never mind uh but they're all like (laughs) future versions of all these things come back to haunt us and then in the midst of that there's a strange kind of beauty to all of it as well it's 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 just an interesting dynamic to 
take in this like beautifully ugly place and to have the haunting score that's also beautiful but also kind of like creepy and like just all these elements are like minor contradictions of each other but it makes it all feel very cool and interesting yes i agree we win <laughs> the robots lose uh speaking of the robots uh or the replicants as they're known in uh in blade runner i thought that they were pretty well fleshed out in terms of like <laughs> their story and their capability and there wasn't a ton of room for like interpretation of what a replicant is supposed to be. Like, you know that they're this sort of almost indistinguishable from human uh, constructs, but there were rules and there were, uh, there was all the elements were there. It was very clean and concise, like what the replicants are. Without having to make them into this otherworldly thing. See, it's interesting. I I hear what you're saying with that. And on some level, I agree. Because it is just kind of explained and laid out there. And they don't try to make certain things too complicated. But when you get into the more, uh, again, that whole the esoteric philosophical elements of what is life? What is you know, what is the soul? What is free will? How how do you have, how are you self-aware? All these different elements that are brought in there. I think they introduce that type of thinking and questioning in like in the worst way possible, which is the same way we open this part of the show, which is me asking you questions. And the thing that bothers me about that is that I know they explained to me that this, you know, this test, this Voigt-Kampf test is... Is supposed to be kind of like a version of a lie detector test where you, you know, measure heart rate and pupil dilation and all these things to, you know, emotional response to questions. But like these questions are supposed to evoke emotional responses. And I think they just thought, well, should I just say weird things? And like a replicant can't handle weird conversations. Like the, you know, like, the, the way these are constructed where it's like describe in single words only the good things that come to mind about your mother and it's like if that that's the thing in the future that lets you tell the difference between a human and a replicant whether or not they like their mother whether or not they're able to say you know cookies right uh, oh and then the fact that they make the big deal that what's her is it Rachel? What's what's the name of the? I want to say it's Rachel. Sure, we'll call it Rachel. That like it was such a big deal. Not only that she herself did not know she was a replicant because they implanted memories and all that, but instead of like being able to figure her out in like twenty questions, like took over a hundred. And I'm like, if you if you can't figure her out after a couple of these questions, how are 98 more going to help you figure it out? Maybe it's just because I'm not a technician. I don't know. I'm not specialized. You You're know. not a Blade Runner, I'm John. Not a, or am I? Oh, shit. Oh, no, just kidding. I wasn't asking you these questions because I'm hunting you. Don't worry. How do I know that that's not true? It, never, never mind. Let me just ask uh, totally, again, has nothing to do with. Okay. Nothing to do with... Um, it's about, this is about the movie? Yeah, it's completely just about the movie. Uh, are we starting now? Just Yeah, yeah. two guys doing a podcast. We're, we're drinking. But remember, while walking along in desert sand, you suddenly look down. 
what do you what do you mean which desert? What, which that, desert that, am it I? Doesn't in? matter. It doesn't matter. So you you look down, see a tortoise crawling toward you. You reach What's down. What's a tortoise? You know what a turtle is? Yeah. It's same thing. So the tortoise. I've never seen thing. a turtle, but I'm, Listen, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about, though. The tortoise just lies there, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it cannot do so without your help. But you are not helping. Why? I know that's not the part where you shot him, but no, I, think I, that's, yeah. I forgot the line. That's <laughs> okay. I, I forgot it too. Not really. Cause I, don't, <laughs> I don't forget anything. I don't know why. It's this weird thing I've always been able to do is have you complete remember everything of every conversation ever had uh, as though it's just been implanted. I mean, it's nothing. strange because you don't have emotion either. I'm starting to wonder. Ha ha ha. Funny. See? <laughs> that was very Sheldon of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's come to this. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, the the premise, the the way they build this into figuring out if something's a uh, a thing is a thing or is a thing a human, is it a replicant or a human? It kind of, I, I think it's strange because I'd say it almost bothers me because I've seen other media do it better, and I'm not saying the entire movie or the entire premise or entire everything, but that that central core idea of taking you, the audience, along with the ride and trying to determine if a particular being is human or not human. Um, and in fact, I, I think I've probably seen this the best in you know a couple of different anime series that I kind of alluded to when we first started up the intro to the show. Um, but like, there's one in particular, it's a mini series. Um, I think it's called A Time of Eve or The Time of Eve. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I should watch it again because it's really good. But it's only like a little six-part uh, series. And it's all about being in a future where there are androids who are more or less identical to human. Except in order to distinguish them, they have basically like a little halo that floats above their head. That's like built in. Every android has it so that they're easily distinguishable between humans and not. But there's this bar where you there's like a secret double secret entrance of getting into this place and when you enter ultimately come into the bar if you're an android the halo has been removed or erased while you're in the bar and so you have a bunch of people who are interacting and there's no way to know if you're talking to an android or to a human oh interesting um, and that's the whole premise uh, not the whole premise but like you basically have like an investigator cop type person who you know, is going to this place because it's illegal and, you know, it shouldn't exist. And he's there and trying to figure out what the point is, like, what's going on here? Is it dangerous? And then he, like, he meets this woman and it's, like, driving him nuts that he doesn't know for sure if it's a, a woman or if it's an android. And he, you know, it's just like he just needs to know. And so he's trying to, you know, figure out ways to, to find this stuff out. And so it's, like, this interesting progression of, you know, going through what kind of conversations would you truly have, you know, if you were trying to determine by someone's responses if they were human or not. And not, not once did they ever say, 
describe in single words only the good things that come to mind about your mother. <laughs> you know, it was it was just a lot more nuanced and and interesting. And it was like, yeah, I wonder what I would do. Like not once during any, and they spent a lot of time with this idea of these tests and, and, you know, unveiling, you know, he was human or not. And not once did I identify and go, that's, oh, good question. Or, oh, that's so interesting. It was like, no, I get it. You're just telling me that this is true and this works. So I should just accept it. That's cool. But like spend two it's minutes on compelling. it. Yeah. It's just spend two minutes on it. Tell me that it works and that you do it and that's fine. And that's, you know, we move from there, but the way they built it into the story and tried to make it such a core part of what's interesting in the process, it was, yeah, it was never interesting and just left long periods of time that were kind of slow. And I just didn't care. I have one other thing that I want to touch on before we move into the, the deeper stuff that, that it, it, it sort of bothered me. And I've probably talked about this on the show before. Um, smoking. I hate when they make smoking a character trait for a character who's played by a non-smoking actor <laughs> because they don't know how to hold a cigarette. They don't know how to inhale a cigarette. They don't know how to smoke a cigarette. And as a former smoker, I've watched myself and watched other people smoke. And so I know what it looks like. I know what it's supposed to look like. And so when I see this dude, this this examiner at the very beginning of the movie who's quote-unquote smoking this cigarette, but he's holding it all weird, and he's not really inhaling, and he's just sort of... Like, it fucking takes me out of the moment. It's very awkward to watch. It's very painful to watch. I don't like it. I don't do it anymore, movies. Have you ever actually seen someone smoke in 2019? Because it's a whole different ballgame in the future. Is it our 2019 or the 2019 of... Blade Runner. Same thing. Any 2019. If you just, if you've actually seen someone smoke in 2019, you'd notice that that's really accurate nowadays in LA. You see, I oh, see. I, I don't know that I was in LA in 2019. I yeah, I can, I can say definitively. If sorry, sorry right. to make you look like an idiot on this one, man. That's that's classic. Uh, when you look at LA and you see it on fire and just belching fireballs into the sky it's, at it's night. because of these weird smokers. it's the weird smokers i mean you call Man. them weird but it's just the way it is it's very it's very hip fucking la figures hey but at least they're not vaping at least they're not vaping good job <laughs> <laughs> uh all right john uh mm-hmm. let's get into some of what you alluded to earlier yeah so again with blade runner as a movie, some really cool thing, some kind of like, yeah, boring things, some things that didn't necessarily work and pacing, whatever. But overall, good movie, good stuff going on with it, some really great stuff at different times. But one of the things that comes up, that comes along with this movie, at least in my mind, is this philosophical discussion of what being human is versus what being self-aware is versus what having a quote-unquote soul or however you want to uh, attribute that that thing that makes what we, not you and I, but we meaning collective uh, humanity say, this is a human thing. This is a uniquely 
human thing, or and maybe you or I don't say that, but like that discussion, that idea is something that I think this movie broaches very interestingly because, I mean, really, you have this idea that if 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 in our future, not Blade Runner, but like now or anytime soon, we cross that threshold of you know just simple robotics to being able to the, create, the uncanny valley, yeah. Like, there are elements that are interestingly close in certain ways, but others are life's light years away, um, as far as we know. But, like, once you get to that point where just from visual clues, from verbal clues, you can't, you just can't tell, but you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but really, that's just programming, and it can't actually think or feel or come to conclusions or you know, be self-aware of itself as an entity, you know, like that, that whole process, like how, how do you define things? How do you, how do you understand a, what does it mean to be human? And B is being human synonymous with having self-awareness or a soul or whatever, whatever uh, terminology you want to use to quantify the thing that makes you, like uniquely aware of your life and blah, blah, blah. Well, I think that that's what the test that, that Voight Kampf test in this movie tries to do, albeit poorly is to, to suss that out is, is to, to, it, and we don't get the backstory to it. And I, I don't remember reading do androids dream of electric sleep. So I don't even know that Philip K. Dick next necessarily like fleshes that out, like says, Oh, this is what these questions do, and you know whatever. Yeah. I mean, I can't say it, it, all it, these questions are from the the story. Okay, so what I think this is intended to do is it's less like what, what did you call it before? You you said this test, and you gave it a name, and then you said the Voight-Kampff test, and you were you were talking about like a. I don't know, an intelligence test or something. Hmm. But and anyway. I'll have to rewind it, the tape. I bet I was really smart. You, you probably were. But I, I, I see it less of that, and I see it more of like of, of a Turing test. Uh, yeah. the, the test that they give to AI to determine if it's self-aware or not and to determine if it's you know capable of existing beyond its programming. And I think that that's more of what, this test is designed to do is are you self-aware and are you you know (laughs) are you a further danger to us than just a regular replicant and maybe i'm wrong but i i I sort of think that that's that's what it's trying to determine and and it the beginning of the movie in the the sort of scroll or whatever like in 2019 it it alludes to like there's earlier generations and they're you know they were given emotion and now then it was taken away and now this nexus six is like the the pinnacle but it's you know now they're they're developing emotion and i i i don't remember everything that was there but the the point that i'm getting at is uh i don't have one and on that shocker, we close out the series. That's our 
That's our <laughs> podcast, everyone. No, it's <laughs> like, again, to reference another uh, movie that I liked more than Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but like a different, different movie, but some similar questions. Have you seen Ex Machina? I have not. Oh, my God. It's brilliant. And I suggest you watch it and get your hands on it as quick as you can. I'll just say that there's elements of an advanced touring test uh, built into the very premise of why that movie exists. And I think it's just done amazingly. And it doesn't always have to be highfalutin, high action. Oh, it's on Showtime. I'll watch that yeah. probably next week. You should. It's great. I love it. It's so good. But um, but the the idea here, again, I appreciate the concept of the Voigtkampf test. And I think I said it was something of like a an advanced lie detector test or something because it reminds me of, you know, the yeah. Whole I think that, I think that's what you were yeah. getting at, yeah. But that that's so mechanical, and this is supposed to be deeper and more philosophical. But like, I guess I guess I'm willing to give it a pass because they do kind of say you know like they're measuring skin temperature and if the people you know whether they blush or are flushed or have reactions physiological reactions. And maybe they're just trying to confuse a machine with things that it can't sort out the meaning behind sentences and words. So it has a reaction or it doesn't. But wouldn't you think that like if you were a machine or, you know, if you were uh, an android or if you were a replicant and someone asks you about there's a wasp on your arm, do you think you'd have like a disturbing emotional reaction or are they just counting on a human with definitely flip out at the idea of a wasp on their arm and they jump up from the table and be like yeah oh my god a wasp like but a replicant just stays cool calm and collected because they're just not human and it's like ah i just i don't know i have i have an issue with the, the nature of the questions when i feel like if you're trying you know the very concept of a turing test to determine whether or not you can sufficiently distinguish between knowing whether something is actually a program or 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 not like i think that's such an interesting concept and to see it kind of diluted in this weird way just didn't connect with me but like to circle back to the just our, our personal ideas of this concept like i don't know like do you do you like i have a hard time quantifying it but when i think about life you know, just things that are alive. Like, there are times when I see aspects of what I would describe as a deeper sort of self-intelligence that happens in animals and things that aren't human. And yet I don't think of them as like, oh, well, in a, I don't even know how I'm trying to say this. Like, Well, so I, I think that what it comes down to in that regard is points of reference. And... As as human beings who have lived, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, depending on who is being uh, administered this Voight comp test, they're going to have points of reference for some of this stuff. Like when, when Decker asked, or when or the, the first examiner asks, like, uh, using single words, uh, tell me about, you know, nice feelings about your mother a human being would be able to say cookies or uh or or cuddling or 
cutting my sandwich into well, I, I don't know that's not the same <coughs> word, but cutting my sandwiches into triangles or cutting the crust off my sandwiches or you know, uh tucking tucking me in, bedtime, uh things like that. Like a person has those points of reference and as such would when referencing those those points would give off those triggers that that would indicate oh this is a person whether it's a pupil dilation or 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 whatever the replicants don't have those points of reference unless they're built in in the case of Rachel so when uh Mr. Pissed Off at the beginning of the movie loses his shit it's please because... please his dad is Mr. Pissed Off just call oh, him, sorry just call him just, pissed just, off just just pissed off or pissy for short when pissy uh loses his shit over the the question and shoots at the examiner he doesn't have the points of reference to go off of so he doesn't have anything really to talk about and even if he did the machine would let on that oh he's just referencing things that he has learned are associated with having a mother he doesn't have a mother himself all right well the the test is still dumb Yes, no. The the, the <laughs> execution of the Voigtkampf test in this movie is not good. Like, there's a lot left to be desired at the end of that whole situation. I think there's a lot of things that play as undercurrents through this movie, especially the idea of whether or not Harrison Ford is playing a human being or a replicant himself. And, like, the big difference between the different versions of the movies, which there's, I think, about somewhere between seven and nine versions of the movie, but really, there's only three versions that, like, matter in regards to being actually different. It's the theatrical cut, the director's cut, and then the final cut, and even the director's cut and final cut are not that different. And the biggest difference, just from taking a glance at things, is that in the theatrical cut they kind of rework things to have a happier, nicer ending because, you know, some someone tested an audience somewhere and they're like, oh, they don't like the fact that it's not happily ever after like movies are supposed to be. Right. And so instead of an end scene just cutting to black and like, you know, the whole unicorn origami and the whole like question of implanted memories and all that, you know, it's like, what's what? What am I supposed to be thinking? Instead, it's like no, we ran off together into the forest and we were happy and Rachel lived forever and everything's great. Amen. And it's like, okay. Um, so yeah, that's like the the biggest difference. And so I'm perfectly fine. We didn't watch the theatrical cut. Yeah. Um, same here. But it, it does bring up an interesting idea again, which is if uh, a good old Deckard um, is a replicant, which is, you know, no doubt heavily hinted at and there are elements that we could you know i know i think i have evidence that explains why he's a replicant um but you know that that end piece of sending them off together and they're both replicants with the idea that you know no matter what they've got less than four years to live and that's it it's a it's an interesting thing so it's like all of his backstory and everything it was all memories and implanted and they didn't actually work together for that long and he actually wasn't a blade runner that retired and went away years ago like those are all just memories and he's just fresh and new but those are all implanted in him i think that's just an interesting idea too i think it's a very interesting idea i don't think that it 
holds water necessarily, at least not in the story that we watched. Like it, there's there are certain elements that you could go, yeah, maybe it's possible if we knew more than possibly, maybe it could be. But I just at, when I got done watching this movie, I didn't get the impression that Deckard was a replicant. I I didn't think that there was enough there to to make me go, oh yeah, that's he's definitely a replicant. There's it, to to me. I, I think the idea of him being a human is more interesting anyway uh, if, because of the ending that we got with the final cut. And, and even if we had gotten this sort of quote-unquote happily ever after ending, she still only has a, a maximum of four years less, depending on how old she actually is by the time Deckard meets her. So... Uh, it's it's more there there's there's more there in terms of tragedy and and that makes for a better story for me than this sort of grasping at straws of Deckard being a replicant. See, and I I don't think it's grasping at straws or necessarily less interesting if he's a replicant because I think it ideas that makes one question their assumptions about motivations why would someone do something why does someone care or what what is love baby don't hurt me um it's don't these, hurt me no more um but like the the idea he, here's why i think he's a replicant and it sounds like i'm kidding around and maybe i am or maybe i'm deadly serious but <sighs> it helps me to understand like the whole <laughs> Voight Kampf test scene between him and Rachel. Because it's awkward and weird and boring. And like, you know why it took over 100 questions? Because they're both replicants and they don't know how to have emotional responses to anything. And the fact that like within a day... They're talking, you know, are you in love with, or do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you too. Like, and it's like, they just met a few minutes ago and they did a, a boring and this is crazy. test. Yeah. And, and it's like, so are you going to call me? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. And so like all of these references that they should get because they're cultural touch, touchstones, you know, like music songs, they, right. you know, music songs. <laughs> In music songs. <laughs> That's a normal human expression. <laughs> I like listening to music songs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it really, watching film movies. It, it strikes me as, with retrospect, you're able to go back and say, you know, the the failings they had as a, a film director or writer or whatever could all be written off if he was, in fact, a replicate. And his voiceover is also, like, horribly acted and, like, just kind of lifeless and you're like oh i get it it's because he's a replicant it's not because there was an off day in recording so ridley scott still he he says that deckard's a replicant and harrison ford says he's definitely human so it's like you know classic well, that's classic that's probably battle of the they talked about behind camera going all right so for the end till the end of time i'm gonna say this and you're gonna say that okay agreed and so that it's just to fuck with the audience but I, I here's the thing is I, I don't discount completely the idea of Deckard being a replicant. 
I'm I just need more convincing that that he's because the only thing to me that might elude or, or things there was this the 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 scene with uh the, the Edward James Almost's uh matchstick man that uh that he found there was the unicorn and, and sort of his reactions to those things. Yeah. And, and like how he sort of sat pondering and, and, and really giving it a lot of thought. All right. I've got, I've got a fun question for you. Hit me. So given the context of this movie, everything we've experienced, look at the real world in quotes, the real world around us. What famous person a-lister, D-lister, doesn't matter. Someone I or others might know who is definitely a replicant. Oh, man. I'll go with mine first because I've thought about it for a long time. Yeah, go ahead because I, I really have to give this a lot of thought. It's, in my mind, one option that's definitely this person is a definite replicant is Carson Daly. Yep. It's it's just a fact and I, he clued me in. The big trip up happened when uh the whole COVID thing hit and the voice uh TV show was like on hiatus and then they started doing they, they like shipped everyone mics and and cameras yeah. and shit to But they up. had they had Carson in the in the studio all by himself filming like intros to things. Uh-huh. And it's like first of all, yeah, of course they could have him in the studio running all the cameras with his brain power. Cause he's a replicant and doesn't need people, <laughs> but also all these different times he kept, he, I'm sure what he was supposed to say was, you know, we're coming to you live, even though this looks recorded and people are at home and, you know, we've precinct these things together. So like, I'm sure he was trying to communicate the concept that even though we're taking pre-recorded segments out of people's homes where they're singing and stitching it all together, I'm live and I'm presenting it to you. But the way he kept saying it was like, almost like he didn't have a concept of what live meant. Yeah. Like, so it's like, I, I'm Carson Daly and I am coming to you 100% live today. I am live. I am a live boy and I am going to show you things. And like, those weren't, that's not an exact quote, but like his <laughs> phrases were so hilariously awkward that it definitely felt to me. He's got to be a replicant trying to convince Saul that he's an actual live person who is talking to us. I will totally buy into that. If anybody on this planet is a replicant, it is Carson Daly. Uh, with the scant exception of perhaps Elon Musk. Ooh, now that's a scary. Yeah. You See, I picked a mundane, fun, goofy little thing, but you went the route of like apocalypse-minded this guy is going to usher in the end of humans as we know it because he well, can. It, but it, it's not even necessarily that, although it's a lot that. Uh, it, he also, like, can't speak in public. Mm -hmm. If you ever, like, anytime he's doing, like, a product announcement, like they're dropping a new car or he's doing a thing for SpaceX or whatever, he can't articulate himself in any way shape or form like he he stutters over everything he everything is uh and um 
if you even if you watch him like if you go back and watch uh which I, I, I don't endorse by any means, but go watch him on Joe Rogan's podcast, he he has a lot of trouble getting out whatever it is that's in his head. He's a replicant. Elon Musk is a replicant. He's totally a replicant. All right. Well, we've wrapped that up, and we didn't even have to kill anyone yet. Uh, yeah. Yet. I mean, I'm not going to do anything that you could point back to evidence later on when people are listening to this podcast. No. How creepy. Oh, Natch. I can't believe some guy wearing a duster just crashed through his patio door. Yeah, like... Beep, no poop up. <laughs> it's, it's never going to happen. Don't worry about it. Yeah, forget about it. <laughs> That's our show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to us each and every week as we distill another favorite from our past. You can catch new episodes every Monday, so come and hang out with us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can head over to tmdpod.com. That's our website. You can see where uh, what episodes we have going on there as well as any news, stuff like that about the show. John. That is true. We are coming to you, and I am very much alive. And I want to tell you, you can write us at thememorydistillery at gmail.com if you would like to tell us about your very alive thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I also hate you, and that's a human emotion. Um, (laughs) But it's also important, again, that we highlight that the music in our podcast is no longer being done by Hans Zimmer. Uh, we full-on switched to Semaphore. You're fired, Hans. Yeah, Hans, you didn't get the job done, and now we're using Destroying the Evidence because uh, one of our listeners, Joe, uh, listens to it when he's working out, and if that's not a good enough endorsement for all of you to go check it out yourself, I don't know what is. Uh, but yeah, just follow us on uh, Facebook at The Memory Distillery or, you know, Tweet at us at TMD Pod, whatever, to get a hold of us. Um, let us know about movies you'd like to hear us do. Any special events coming up you want us to promote, like the you know Lavender Festival. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Oh, I'm, by the way, Happy Mother's Day, mothers, especially oh, mine. Yeah, Happy Mother's Day, Anthony's mother. As a, a faithful listeners, that we know at least a certain percent of very live human people gave birth to at least one half of the people doing this podcast. Correct. Uh, so we, we just wouldn't get anywhere without you. Um, so love you, ma. Thank you, everybody. Uh, especially those of you who either have mothers have had mothers, are mothers or will or might be mothers or produce, make or prepare mothers as for a living. I could go on all night. This could never. I think, I think that all tracks. Yeah. Um, so, and, and the spirit of really awkward things in a movie that go on and on and don't need to, like the Void Contest, I'll just sign off now. <laughs> I'm John Deck. And I'm Anthony Verneri, and this has been The Memory Distillery. I am a live boy. 